Hi everyone, today I'm chatting with Becky, a British single parent living and working in Denmark. We chat about how she's reaching FI as a single parent, how she currently manages her finances, and what her FI goals are. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Arminta, and Matthias. Okay, well, I am here with a Becky, who's currently living and working in Dar- Denmark, but who's originally from the UK. Thank you very much, Becky, for joining me. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Um, today, uh, with Becky, we're going to be tackling the topic of achieving FI as a single parent. Before we dive in, Becky, could you quickly tell us kind of who you are and maybe a, a rundown of, of what you do? Absolutely. So I am Becky. As you said, I'm British uh, originally. I'm currently living in Denmark, which is totally counterintuitive when you think about financial independence. Um, I've been here for a year um, and actually I've lived outside of the UK for a long time. So I moved here uh, from the Congo. Um, But I'm a single parent, um, so I'm here with my two kids who are 11 and just seven. Um, And actually, I work in development and humanitarian, which, again, is a little bit unusual and the reason for being in Congo. Wow, I love it. Very unusual. And that sounds like a very like a fascinating career. It sounds like you knew kind of it's a very specific career to pick. Right. So you were like, I want to do this. Is that? Right? Yeah, I think so. I, I always, I, I don't entirely remember how I knew I wanted to do it, but I always wanted to. So I think it's one of those things where it feels really like a vocation. Um, but it also means that there's lots and lots of periods in in kind of humanitarian and development work where you don't earn very much money. Sure. It's one of those those areas where you need to, you know, you do internships and you go overseas for not very much. And um, it takes a long time. I mean, I'm now, uh, you know, a bit older. So I just turned 40 and I'm now kind of very, very settled in that career, but also thinking about, you know, it's knackering, as you can imagine, um, you know, so thinking about what next. Definitely. And we'll be we'll be talking about that. So just to kind of kick off the, the discussion, what are ways that you think uh, that managing money as a single parent is different than managing as a partner? Because this is a topic we haven't really you know, covered on, on the podcast. So in what ways would you think, would you say that it's different? I think there are a couple of things. One is about the the options that you have and the opportunities that you have in terms of moving towards FI. I mean, one of the reasons I was interested and in, in kind of started writing a blog and thinking about these things myself is I found a lot of the FI movement, it just didn't feel very recognisable. So, you know, you have lots of, of couples talking about living off one salary and saving the other um, you have, you know, couples who kind of give up childcare costs in order to, you know, they don't need to pay childcare costs because one of them can stay at home. Um, there are just kind of lots of different opportunities that you have when, you, when you're a two-income household. And then the other side is, obviously, there are lots of costs that you have when you have children. And so being a single parent, you kind of fall in the middle. So you still have quite a lot of costs. It's quite hard to reduce some of them. And you don't have those opportunities to have the two incomes. Um, then I think the other side of it is around your attitude to risk. Um, And I think a lot of the ways that I think about financial independence and I think about planning and risk are, first of all, quite risk averse, um, because I'm always thinking, you know, do we have a roof over our head? Uh, You know, what are we going to do? What am I going to do when the kids are um, 
needing driving lessons or when the kids are in college or, you know, when the kids are doing this. So it's somewhere between those two different things, um, the kind of opportunities and kind of risks that you think about. Definitely. Uh, and you're completely right. It's def- it's not a topic that is discussed a lot in the in the FI world and definitely should be. And I was just going to ask that, how it affects your risk tolerance. And you're saying that it, it makes you more risk averse. How has it really, you know, adjusted your priorities in a way? Would you feel that it has adjusted your priorities and, and in what way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in terms of priorities, in terms of priorities kind of for life, obviously my kids always come first. So I'm always looking for, you know, this sounds a bit ironic given that I just introduced myself by saying all the places that we've lived. But I'm always thinking about, you know, how can I spend time with my children? How can I be at home for them? Um, You know, how can I kind of manage my work so I can do school pickup or so I don't travel so much? And obviously in my line of work, that can be quite difficult. So there's, there's one aspect, which is about really making sure I'm there for them. Um, the other is that kind of stability for them. So things are very, very consistent. Um, and I mean, I had uh, I had a fantastic childhood, but we had sort of some money challenges. And so there were times when it felt like we were really well off. And then there were times when we were, you know, where were times we had to move house and, and it felt like things changed. And so there's a, an element of stability that I really want for them. Um, and that stability, I think, is the thing that really drives um, my life and how I live it. And now, stability and kind of financial independence don't necessarily go together there's something around being prepared uh for for volatility you know playing the market looking at investing um whereas you know the biggest thing that i've focused on in my in my fi journey and if i look at my net worth my biggest thing is my house so i've just been obsessively paying off my house um and i think that's not usual um and it's probably not recommended either um and when i do talk to people uh, either in FI or kind of friends of mine, they feel like that doesn't make sense. Uh, paying off a mortgage, whether the interest rate is relatively low, rather than investing and kind of, you know, hoping for better returns later. But I have a kind of very emotional reaction to it, which is were I to lose my job, we would have no income as a family. And so kind of investing in my house, I feel that I at least have something very stable. And so I think there is a question for me that I try to interrogate a little bit with myself, which is not just about my my risk tolerance, but kind of how much I'm prepared to believe that this house, at least we can go and live in it, you know, even if house prices completely crash. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And before we start talking about your specific, like how you're managing your money, I'm curious kind of to hear your your the reason you want to reach financial independence. Is it because you want to spend more time with your children? Is that the main reason? Yes, I think partly. I mean, I think it's really about it's really about just, you know, the independent side of it. It's about not being reliant on someone. And, you know, I'm sure for people who are in couples where one of them gives up their work, they kind of feel reliant on the other person. For me, I feel reliant on on having a job, you know, and I, I worry if something happened to my health, God forbid, you know, if we were kind of laid off because of COVID, all of these things, we'd suddenly have no income. Um, and then kind of what would happen to my children. In terms of in terms of why I want to be financially independent, it's also around the area that I work in is it's incredibly difficult. I mean, I love my job. I love the work that I do. And I think I'm very, very fortunate to work in this kind of area. But, you know, I've spent kind of years living in conflict zones and living living and working in really difficult conditions and dealing with quite emotionally intense areas. I spent a long time working with children who've been affected by crisis and conflict. And it's a privilege to have that kind of job. But there's also a point where you get emotionally exhausted. Um, and it would be it would be kind of 
nice to be able to go and do something else um, or also to potentially break it up. So I think when I'm when I'm looking at my what next, it's not so much about, you know, actually kind of retiring completely and coming away from from doing those those pieces of work. But it would be my aim is to get to the point where I can do consultancies potentially where I can spend time with my kids, where I can take, you know, all of the summer holidays off to to travel with them and spend time with them and do the work that I really love doing. But also when I'm feeling like it's too much to be able to say, okay, that's it. Going to have a couple of months off, hang out with the kids and do something else. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. And I read on your blog uh, that you, you're dreaming of going back to Kenya and, and uh, just, you know, going there on uh, for a little while and somewhere nice and peaceful with your children. Uh, in the nature, that's your kind of ideal getaway place, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, nice. we have, we are, it's lovely. I love Kenya. I mean, and again, it, it's just such a privilege, but we lived there for quite a long time. Um, and it's just, you know, this fantastic country. And if you have a certain amount of money in the bank, you can have a, a residence visa. Um, so it's also, it's also an incentive towards that. Um, I mean, you know, in my kind of ideal dream plan, we would go and set up um, almost like a retreat center, you know, so we would have a home there for me and the kids that they could always come back to. But we'd also be able to use it and kind of run retreats to run kind of courses for, you know, women working in the humanitarian sector, run retreats for for women in that sector who are getting towards burnout, which is actually really common um, and places where women can come and talk about, obviously not just women, but, you know, go with what you know, um, where people can come and talk about things like, you know, how how do you manage being a parent with having these very intense kind of jobs? Um, how do you manage your finances when you're, you know, living all over the world and it's difficult to manage bits and pieces? So it's it's uh, it's quite niche, <laughs> I would say. Um, but that's the dream. Yeah, I, I love that dream. I think it's very specific and it sounds like you know what you're doing. So... Um, it's a very exciting FI goal. And um, I'd love to dive a little deeper into kind of the finances. So obviously, as you said, you your priority is kind of financial stability. So do you have like much more money in your emergency fund, for example? How many months do you have saved up? Or, or what are your kind of preparations in case things do go bad? So, I mean, I would say I came to I came to kind of financial independence or really financial anything quite late. Um, I've always been quite frugal. And I think when I was younger, I was looking very much at earning to, you know, earning to live, essentially. So I wasn't that bothered about savings, but I also wasn't that bothered about spending. So, you know, I did lots of work in my career doing kind of internships and voluntary work and, and kind of doing very, very lowly paid jobs. But I also wasn't spending and I wasn't getting into debt. And then when I separated from my husband, I was 30. Uh, and kind of went, I don't know, I haven't really, I haven't really done anything. Um, I don't have a pension of any kind. Uh, I don't have any stability. And um, I kind of lost my job. I came back from Sudan, actually, and I couldn't get a job because I had a baby. Uh, and that was the point where I started thinking, OK, I need to kind of sort myself out financially. So I've always focused since then on kind of having an emergency fund. So first of all, being very, very clear about kind of not having debts and really living within within our means. Um, and so we spend quite a lot of time budgeting. I keep saying we because my children, my children are lucky enough that I force them to join me on this journey. <laughs> we sit down on Saturday mornings and we do, you know, meal planning for the week and budgeting. Oh. And, you know, we talk about kind of that they're really bought into the idea of um, of moving to Kenya and saving up for that and doing wow. kind of instead of going on, you know, on fancy holidays and this kind of thing. 
which I really love because I feel like, you know, it means they're not kind of, they're not worried about the things that they're missing out on. They don't feel like they're missing out. They're part of the journey. Yeah, exactly. And they, they really enjoy it. And they have a, I talk about this later, but they have kind of, you know, stocks and shares, junior ISAs, and they have a look at them every every quarter and talk about, you know, what's happened to them and how it's all going. But so I have, I try to have an emergency fund of a year um, and to have that uh, just in an account. And actually, for a very long time, I, I didn't invest in, in you know, the stock market or ETFs or anything because I, I was kind of brought up thinking, you know, the corporate world is evil and money is terrible. And so, you know, we just had money in, in cash or in very basic accounts. So I have all my um, emergency fund and I have it in a, an account with Triodos, which is an, an ethical bank. And that's kind of how I do that side of things. And so we have a whole year. Uh, and now we're in Denmark, as you've said, and I'm here for work. Denmark is incredibly expensive. So I have a separate emergency account, which is like our leaving Denmark account. And it would be enough to to kind of pay off a couple of months rent, you know, to sell the car or whatever and to get us out of here back to the UK if we needed to go. And then we have a year to cover everything in case I totally lost my job. Wow, that's, that's very prepared. So one year plus a couple of months in Denmark or, or leaving Denmark. And on top of that, do you, so you said you're paying off your mortgage. Do you also have kind of a separate account for investing, like stock market investing? Yes. So I have, I'm still resident for tax in the UK. And I think I'm probably quite lucky with that. So I still have my um, investments in the UK. So I have a stocks and shares ISA and I try to to max that out every year. And I don't tend to do more than that. So I think that currently the maximum for an ISA is £20,000, but that's tax free. And so I have that. Um, and then my kids have stocks and shares ISAs as well. And the other thing I do is pay money into a pension. So I have the kind of, you know, those different things. I have an emergency fund. I did start paying into a pension uh, at 35, so five years ago. And when we were living in in Congo, one of the reasons I took that job was because it um, came with accommodation. It came with, you know, school fees for the kids. And it, it wasn't brilliantly paid, but it had a fantastic pension package. Um, plus, our outgoings were very, very low because of the kind of wraparound support that you had um, that was to try and attract people to go and live in Congo. And so with that, I was paying an outrageous amount into my pension every month, like £2,000 or something. Uh, Right. But that was then it was coming from nothing. And I mean, I wish that someone had told me at some point in my childhood or frankly, before the age of 35, pay into a pension, because if you don't, you'll really regret it later. Um, So that would be my kind of big bit of advice. And actually, with my kids, I've started them off with a a junior SIP. Wow. Um, which is a you know a UK pension fund, which is against stocks and shares, and so they've had that going. I think my daughter was five, so at some point when my kids are sixty, they'll be really grateful. They will for sure. <laughs> and you said yourself that you wish someone had told you, but look, you're already doing it to your children. Like this is this is key. The best thing you can do is is you know do it to your the next generation. Uh, so that's definitely right. Yeah, super helpful. So yeah, so your investment strategy is is basically stocks and shares. I said, which is just the perfect combination we have in the UK. We're incredibly lucky uh, to have these 20,000 20, uh, tax-free. And I'm guessing you invest in uh, ETF index funds, VTSAX, or, or the British version. I can't remember what that is again. But just the cheapest index funds or ETFs. Is that what you're investing in? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I have it with um, Fidelity. Um, and I think they only, they, only re- op- they only opened fairly recently. And so I actually did it. Like, I'm not a super nerd. 
Um, I have to say, I like spreadsheets. So I have tons of spreadsheets where I calculate all of my, you know, all of my plans and we put all our budgets in and we do it every month and we kind of look at it all. Um, and it's all extremely boring, but I love that. What I don't really love is the kind of, you know, research around the kind of stocks or the kind of ETFs or, you know, all of that kind of thing does not turn me on at all. So what, what I actually did was I read um, Dave Sawyer, who's British as well. And he wrote a book yeah. called Reset. We've had him on the podcast. Okay, fantastic. Maybe that's where I heard him. But actually, okay. I, I got Reset as the book. And in it, he's like, right, here's some different options. Here's like total lazy idiot side, which will still work. Because I think <laughs> might just be set. And then, then he had another version, which was kind of, you know, similar ETFs, but in percentages. And so I basically followed what he suggested. Great. Through Fidelity. And it's all just in there. And then I try and leave it alone and not look at it. Right. He's he's also he's like the the British version of JL Collins. That's the they call right. him the, the father of or the godfather of FI. So he's definitely got some really great stuff in there. Another person I, I usually recommend is Andrew Hallam. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh millionaire teacher, millionaire expat. Uh he, he gives really great like just as you said, step by step breakdown of how to invest. They're really, really great advice in, in those books. And so you mentioned that your children you're, you're uh, kind of, you know, taking them, making them part of your journey, which I think is really great. Could you kind of tell us a little bit more about that? What um, are they contributing every month or are they earning? Are you giving them like um, some money every month and then they go and invest or what, talk us a little bit more about how, how you're organizing it? Mm. So we've, we've gone through phases, actually, and we've had kind of very complex, you know, where they earn a certain amount of money for doing certain chores and then they can decide what to do. Um, they're supposed to, with the money that they get, essentially, they have to complete chores in the house and then that's money that they can have. Then they can have extra money, but all of the money they get has to go towards savings, um, spending or donations, like charitable donations. So they have money that they will then keep at home. They'll keep their third and they have to decide what to spend it on. And my daughter is hilarious because she's incredibly tight fisted like I am, but she's also incredibly charming. So she never spends any of the money that she keeps at home. She convinces other people to buy stuff for her, which I think is is actually quite impressive. Then with the other third where they save it, it just goes into their accounts. So both of them have two kind of bank accounts where they can put money in that they can save up for things like, you know, a bike or something bigger. And they use that to buy people's Christmas presents. Um, and then they have their their stocks and shares ISA. And so whatever they put into their stocks and shares ISA, I match. Um, and then it goes up to their up to their limit. So that's kind of how they look at it. They don't they haven't chosen kind of the portfolio. I choose that. Um, but they look at it quarterly and just see how much their money has gone up. Yeah. And so they're, they're kind of invested in that process. Um, and then they, they choose charities to give money to, because I think that's the, that's the other thing. It feels a little bit Dave Ramsey, um, mm -hmm. but it also feels a bit sort of basic. You know, you save some, you spend some um, and you give some away. And I think they like giving money to charity. And I think it's really important that children, you know, money isn't just what other things can you do with it? Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's definitely a good, that makes sense as a, as a strategy. And, and will you say that you've have you noticed over the months some a change in attitude or a certain way they interact that you're very proud of because you've taught them uh, to kind of this financial education? Would you say that this has changed their attitudes in a certain way? Or yeah, what, what kind of differences have you noticed? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, they're, you know, they're still they're still quite young. Um, but I think my eldest particularly doesn't really ask for things. 
you know, and I think he feels the value uh, of money. It's been interesting moving to Denmark because things are so incredibly expensive. And so they do really, really notice the the cost of things. And I think for him particularly, I feel him weighing up, you know, the the idea between spending money and then and then saving it or doing something else with it. Like um, I think two days ago at the weekend, it was a year since I had first come to Denmark. I'd come to Copenhagen by myself to kind of, you know, find us a house and suss it out and see if we'd be happy here. And I said, oh, should we go out, you know, should we go out for dinner? Obviously, Denmark's, you know, open now kind of post-COVID. So these things are these things are possible, which feels very radical. Um, I said, should we go out for dinner? And he was like, oh, isn't that a bit expensive? I said, no, but it's okay. You know, once in a while, we can go out to dinner and we can celebrate. And he said, well, I think it would be more prudent to go out, you know, and celebrate the day that we all arrived instead. So, you know, let's not do that. We'll go out for dinner instead in like in two months' time. Um, and it's you know it's not forced uh, from from their point of view. You know, I think he really did think, would I really enjoy going out for dinner now? And I think actually what they have found is that the anticipation of something is often just as fun as the thing itself. So you know we do a lot of planning, I think, as a family, and a lot of like chatting about going out for dinner and what we'd eat, or like we talk about holidays. You know, I think there's some real pleasure in just having those conversations and, and enjoying the the thought of things rather than necessarily the thing itself. Yeah, that that's really cute. Do you feel that as a um, as a single parent, it's kind of made you more of a team with your children, and you're kind of you know all in this together and figuring out because they they want you to reach FI as much as you do, right? So is this how has this kind of you know brought you together? Has it in a way? No, no, it does. I think so, and I mean, I I do think as a you know as a single parent household, you tend to feel. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of comparing my experience with an experience I probably haven't really had. But I think you do feel more of a team because it's us and them. And I mean, we're very like we're very chatty and we sort of talk all the time. But I also think we have, you know, we have these kind of shared goals and these shared ideas. I think it's a bit like that as well, because we're expats. Right. So we're kind of we've moved and you have to build a community you know when you move somewhere and it's you and your kids you're kind of finding stuff together you're exploring new places together we have sort of family traditions you know not formal ones but i think we have things that we do in every country we live in um and you know a few things that we take with us and i i do feel like we're very much a team and you mentioned in your in your blog that there you have this kind of dilemma which i think everyone does who's pursuing fi which is you know do you sacrifice kind of the time now to to work and then you know retire early and have that free time later or do you maybe try and change your current lifestyle so you have a more flexible lifestyle and i assume that you with children obviously this is a bit also a, a complicated matter because once your children reach a certain age then they're probably going to be off traveling too so how have you grappled with that idea of you know i want to spend more time with my children now or maybe later when I am FI. Right. And and I think that's really hard, actually. And it's something that I it's something that I, I struggle with quite a lot. Um and still I'm not I'm still not convinced that I've got it right, basically. And I think it's probably like this for everyone who has children anyway. So I mean when my son was born, I took a year off work and, you know, lived off at a, a very small amount of savings and then kind of ended up living with my mum. But anyway, I, I took a year off work because I really, really wanted to spend that time with him. And then, you know, from there, took a job where I had a lot of traveling. And I was like, was that really worth it? You know, wouldn't it have been better to work part time when he was a baby and then work part time when he was a bit older? So 
I think it's it's very hard to get right. And the challenge with um, working towards FI at this point, like you say, is, you know, I, I would probably get there when they're leaving home. <laughs> and then I'd be like, I'm ready to hang out with you now. And they would have flown the nest. Um, so it's looking at that timing. And I mean, I think what is one of the things which is propelling me towards looking at lean fi and looking not at giving up work completely, but being able to get to be more flexible. And so, you know, I would hope by the time I hit about 45, so my son would be maybe 15, which is probably exactly the age where he won't want to hang out with me, but then I have plenty of time to follow him around. It's going to be amazing. You know, by the time we're, we're at that point, hopefully we'll have, you know, enough of a, enough kind of impension so that I'm not worrying about when I'm really old, you know, and the house will be paid off and we should be in a decent position where I can go and do something which is more around, you know, consulting work, part-time work, being able to sort of pick and choose a bit more. Whereas at the moment I'm still, you know, employed. Um, I'm very much, very, very full-time employed plus with a lot of travel. So I think one of the things I try to do now is is really work out, you know, even though I am employed, can I work for someone where they understand what it is to be a single parent and they they let me kind of have that freedom? So if I travel one week, maybe I'll work from home part of the next week, you know, and try and get some of that balance. Because I, I do think it's almost impossible to get right, but I would be very, very sad if I got to the end and, and looked around and my kids had kind of gone, you know, and left home and I'd missed that opportunity. Yes, I can see that. I can see how, how complicated that is as a dilemma. And it's, well, the only thing I can say is, is ask you if, you know, if, if you met someone else in a similar situation, what kind of advice would you give them? Maybe someone who's much younger and maybe someone who hasn't had children just yet, but uh, may, might, you know, go down this path. What kind of, what would you tell them in preparation? If you could, obviously, at the end of the day, in hindsight, we're always correct. But if you could you know, give some advice, what would it be to others? Mm, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I find like one of the things that, that kind of spurred me to write the write the blog and look at the kind of single mum stuff is a lot of the advice that you get from other people uh, on FI and generally is about choosing the right partner. Um, and I think even Dave Sawyer has it, but it's, you know, kind of choose your partner, make sure that the person you're with is on the same page as you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I think that's really good advice um, because, you know, I, I, love being with my kids and maybe it is easier as a single parent I don't really know but I think it's it is a very very challenging position to be in um so you know don't go into it assuming that you're going to be single unless you're a single mother by choice which is a whole other conversation I think there is good advice in start your pension because one of the things that I'm trying to do at the moment is is everything all the things that I feel like I ever should have done with my financial life I'm trying to do them all at once and I think that's what makes this feel quite hard. So, you know, if during my 20s I'd been paying into a pension, I wouldn't now at this point be trying to, you know, pay off a mortgage, get my get my emergency fund with you, which is done now, get an emergency fund together, get my savings together for when I'm 60, you know, and plan the money that I would need to go and do something else. So I think there's something around getting your pension or one thing in a row first and kind of do that. I mean, the one thing that I would advise that I have done is is focus on your career. I mean, I'm very lucky in that I always knew what I wanted to do, but I've put a lot of time and a lot of effort into my career. I've always taken it very seriously. I knew that I wouldn't give up work even if I, you know, even if I could completely afford to retire, I don't think I would give up work because I love what I do and I've invested a lot in it. Um, I mean, throughout the time since I had my son, 
you know, I've got a master's degree, I've done a PhD, I've cash flowed both of those. And they've been really, really worthwhile investments. So I think either you have a, you know, have a career that you love and put your time and, and kind of investment into it or have a number of strings to your bow. And I think that's probably more like, uh, you know, the next generation um, where people are doing multiple side hustles and doing lots of different things. Have something you love doing, basically, because you're going to have to earn money somehow at some point in your life. And if you love what you're doing, then that feels like, you know, less of a, of a dilemma. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, honestly, when it comes to career. Well, it, it just depends a lot on every person at the end of the day, uh, because some people prefer one kind of career. Some people prefer uh, like what they love doing doesn't involve anything that makes money. So then they have to, you know, maybe FI is a tool that you can use to to, you know, then do that. Uh, but I, I'm I'm a firm believer in exploring before committing. So if you're not sure what you want to do, which is completely normal and um at the age of 17 or 18 you know in instead of committing to to maybe university or to to an employer that you're not sure about explore you know try try as many different things as you can obviously this is easier said than done definitely not saying it's easy but if you focus if you want to focus on your career then you know taking the time to figure it out is really really val valuable really valuable right and i mean i think there is there's an extent to which you know, I was able to do that. And I think this this idea of kind of living very frugally and living within your means, you know, and not not kind of concentrating on money. I was able to do some of that in the early part of my career. And so even there were points where I had a job, which I was doing something which I really loved and was, you know, part of the moving in the development and humanitarian. But then I was volunteering um, and setting up, you know, a radio station uh, and learning to be a radio presenter and a broadcast journalist. And I think those things are really enriching. And the one thing that I found interesting from, from my career personally is I've ended up relying on things that I really never thought were relevant, you know? So I've ended up kind of where I have tried something or volunteered at something uh, or enjoyed kind of doing something as a hobby. It's turned out to actually further my career in a way that I could never have imagined. So doing those things just out of interest actually kind of was useful in the end. The one thing that I that I wonder about, because I was the last year in the UK to uh, to go to university with a grant, right? And I do wonder if I would have rushed into university in the same way if it had been a major financial commitment. And, you know, like I, I said, with my kind of further studies, um, I cash flowed them. And I just really kind of buck against that idea of coming out at 20, saddled with some enormous debt for something like you say that you're not necessarily sure about. And so you know, when I'm talking to my kids about what they want to do, I'm kind of, yes, you know, prepare and go to university. But equally, if they don't know what they want to do, you know, does it make sense to potentially come out with that debt? Because the way that sets you up, you know, in terms of your financial life and the choices that you're able to make, I think uh, it's, you know, it's a big concern. Yeah, that's true. I mean, although I, from what I understand, it's really cheap in Denmark, right? Universities, or they're free, actually. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in this unusual position because we're resident taxed in oh, the UK. Right. So, we're, so my kids won't have the opportunity to kind of go to a Danish university for free. Oh, really? Um, but yeah, that's, you know, advice to people. Also, be, be Danish <laughs> or Norwegian. <laughs> I think in Norway, they also or pay Scottish. for you. But there you go. Or actually European going to Scotland also. Right. Although it's so hard to get in because they don't, you know, you're not paying, so they don't like you as much. But that's another story. <laughs> no, exactly. But actually, some of those things, some of those things kind of really matter. And I think one of the, one of the maybe issues for us is that, because of our setup, when we're not totally able to take advantage of the the kind of geo arbitrage, right? So that ability to actually go and 
be part of a system um, and kind of make things work, I guess, is a downside. On the upside, I don't have to pay tax, which would be, you know, which is enormous. Um, and I can still carry on kind of having my, you know, having my ISA and my kids junior SIP and whatever and, and using those kind of tax wrappers um, from the UK. And because we because we've moved a lot and that is always the case. It just means that there's a level of kind of stability and I know what's going on. I don't have to keep going and working out kind of tax regimes uh, and paperwork and so on. So, yeah, I think we're quite lucky in that respect. Definitely. I think the UK offers some really great advantages to being a tax resident. Uh, I mean, Denmark obviously does too, but we do have a lower tax rate here. So it's a bit easier, I think. <laughs> right. I mean, no, exactly. I mean, when we were <laughs> looking at, at one of those... um those financial independence calculators and it tells you you know you put your numbers in and then it tells you kind of where you're going to live and blah 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 how long it would take you to become fi and i put in denmark and it came out that i'd be like know, 700 years old or something it's like it was it wasn't really but it was like the worst possible place you could go you know you put you put in my numbers and then you put portugal and it's like you know you can retire in in four years or something and you put in denmark i think it had me retiring at 67 you know where we're going anyway so yeah, we have interviewed a couple of people in Denmark uh, and their plan is usually to leave Denmark. <laughs> so they reach FI or we've, we, we've interviewed a lot of people who who, um, who go to Switzerland, for example, make a lot of money in Switzerland or Denmark or some Scandinavian country. And then they, they, they retire early in, in Portugal or Spain or, or South America. Uh, so that's geo-arbitrage. You can do geo-arbitrage once you retire early, maybe. Exactly. And I mean, you know, we were we were looking at Portugal and like Kenya is Kenya is my dream because it's like where we lived. You know, we've got friends and family there and I would just I would just love to go back. But if not, I think Portugal is on the cards because you can, um, you know, as you know, you can have, I think, don't pay tax if you're um, if you're like a consultant and you're earning international income that couldn't just kind of it's not a job that could be done by a Portuguese person. You don't pay tax on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's that there's a favorable tax regime. Yeah, there is for expats. I think the first seven years you pay like 10% or something like that. It's really low uh, on top of that, on top of what you're right, saying. Right, exactly. So, that. so a lot of people. Nice. And then relatively low cost of living, you know, beaches, surfing. Our our FI retreat was in Portugal last year. So we know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> nice. I mean, because, you know, there's beaches and surfing in Denmark, but it, like, it's freezing in the in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, we're so we're so non-Scandinavian. We went to the beach weekend. Everyone was in the sea, and I was like wearing a coat. Same. I, I'm Spanish, uh, so but I'm currently living in Scotland, uh, and everyone, you know, very Scottish. Everyone is 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 very used to their to their weather here. But I'm always in a jumper, uh, <laughs> so I understand. Although Denmark is much colder than Scotland in the winter. Anyway, Becky, thank you very much. We're going to uh, jump onto our final question. You are um, ready. Our first question is, where can listeners find you online if they want to reach out? Um, so only via my blog, um, which is Brilliant Ladies Handbag Club. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Um, dot Great. com. It just rolls off the tongue. Yes, I, I like it does indeed. We will add that in the show notes so can, people can find it. Uh, our second question is, what is one resource not well-known that you would recommend to others? You mentioned David Sawyer, but anyone who is maybe not well-known, it could be a blog, podcast, a book, anything. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's well-known, but there's a there's a podcast called Journey to Launch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By what? Um, uh, what's your name again? 
Jamila, yeah, Souffron, yeah, I know her. It's uh, Jamila Souffron, yes, and I just love her. I mean, I think there are, you know, she has a lot of voices on which are maybe not normally heard in the fire movement. Um, and she also speaks about a lot of interesting things. And I, I was thinking about this kind of um, this week with, the, you know, all the stuff which is going on and the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of just getting a little bit, you know, I think it's great for fire as a movement to be as diverse as possible. And that includes single parents, but it also includes looking at, you know, people with different needs and interests and lifestyles and, and ways of speaking. Um, and I find Journey to Launch just, you know, she has lots and lots of interesting voices on there. So there's always food for thought. For sure. I think I, I used to, I, I was working for a little while with Jamila, so it was, uh, it was great to hear her, her episodes. Um, third, third question is what is your number one actionable tip for someone to get started on their path to FI? Yeah. Path to FI in general. I was going to end it with single parents, but it, you know, it, it could be to anyone. There's no need to narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and I'm sure, I, I think from a single parent perspective, I think it's probably trying to think about it as something that will make your life easier, right? I think one of the issues about being a single parent is you're just con you're responsible for everybody's everything. And so if someone is like, oh, why don't you do this? You know, why don't you do a budget? Why don't you think about your pension? You're like, because I can't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> way. So actually kind of just have the mindset of it might feel like it's going to take you a while to get your budget or your savings plan or whatever in place, but it will just give you so many benefits in the end that you will you know, you'll be really happy that you did it. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I think you're right. It does take some time to just get your stuff in order. It's not going to happen in a month. It'll probably take at least six months. Right. Know. Yeah. And then, but then when you do, it's really, it. you just forget about it afterwards, right? And actually all the bit where you're kind of, I don't know, lying in bed being like, what happens? What happens to my kids if I die? What happens to, sorry, it's really cheerful. Yeah, I know. But you know, it's that kind of thing. What happens? What happens if I lose my job? You know, the the weight of anxiety um just lifts massively and you you know you can't put a value on that really it's priceless well uh becky it's been great to have you on the podcast um a great pleasure uh, and thank you very much for your time thank you so much hey matthias do you think there are no financial independence facebook groups yet Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddits, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is in the end the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. 
Thank you for listening and see you next time.